Hello and welcome to the Aligned Leader Podcast. I'm Daniel Jordi and I'm your host. And on the Aligned Leader, we feature some of the most cutting-edge technology CEOs and digital executives in Switzerland in order to empower next-generation entrepreneurs to cut their learning curve and in order to establish Switzerland as a global digital innovation hub. All right, welcome today to the show. I have uh, today a guest on my show, Marius Dahler, who is the uh, CIO of uh, La Prairie Group. And I'm very excited to have you here. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So let's dive right into it. So tell us a little bit about your story. So what is the background? What's the brief story that got you where you are today? Uh, It's a good question. So... um, what brought me here is actually the, the will to work in technology and the, the being strived by technological developments. Um, I, I started my career basically in the mainframe area and now, I mean, you can imagine this is more than 20 years ago. Uh, things have evolved quite a lot and quite drastically. Um, and I always had a heart for this classical IT, but I always loved to do new stuff and to uh, to try new methods and new technologies, and I like combining both. Mm, mm, I love that. I love that. So tell me a bit more about uh, the background. So what is sort of your uh, what, what was your career like? So you started in the mainframe field, um, I guess as a, as a, as an engineer, and now you're a CIO of a fairly big company. So tell us a little bit about like what got you what what got you to become CEO. What was sort of your what was the path? So the past was really diving into different technologies and I think gaining a wide understanding of different technologies. Um, I worked in really classical IT business. I did network stuff. I did mainframe stuff. I did coding. I developed software by myself. I led little teams in, in, uh, to build software. I led teams to build infrastructures. I started understanding more commercial stuff. For example, creating outsourcing agreements uh, with other firms. And I think that's what, me brought, brought, that's what brought me here is really the, the wideness of the topics and, and the reach of the topics. And I think this, I'm not an expert in any of these technologies anymore. I mean, I was that maybe 20 years ago, but I still can cope with a lot of these developments and I, I get the understanding and the essence of what's going on and I think this is important in such a role um, to somehow track what's going on in the market but also to be able to, to dive a bit deeper down and to really get to the point uh, and to be able to discuss with an engineer uh, as well as with a board member. That's, that's also something that I'm curious about because some people uh, decide, you know, I'm, I'm a tech person. I'm just always going to stay in tech. Um, I would never like to manage other people or lead other people. You decided to take a, a different uh, path. So you decided to not just be an expert in one thing, but you decided to uh, become a leader in the area of technology, uh, working together with uh, many other groups and teams. What, what made you decide to go into that direction? To be honest, it was not the decision to lead other people. Um, it was my 
it was being curious about other technologies and to, I always wanted to voice my opinion. And when you start voicing your opinion, you start leading discussions. And to be honest, I discovered this only after a while that I start leading things instead of executing things. Interesting. And that I liked. Interesting. And I discovered that in many cases, people started to follow me. And that's encouraging. So it's brought me to lead more discussions and to create concepts and to, to fight for things. And this, I think having an opinion is very important uh, and voicing that and convincing others, not trying to overrule, but to convince. That is a very, very interesting example because um, sometimes people think that the way you get ahead in life or career is by wanting to get promoted or wanting to get to the top. And you decided to um, more take it one step at a time and not even maybe know what the next step is, but more saying, I'm stepping up for this because this is my opinion and, and sharing that and just naturally taking the lead on things. And then things started to follow. That's kind of like how I understand it. Right, so it's not so much about the position in terms of status. Uh, for me, it's important to have influence on things that I'm interested in. And that can be different roles, obviously. But I always was interested in having, having kind of a say in things. Mm. Mm. Now, taking a step back into technology, what, what got you inspired to go into that field of technology? I guess that was pretty early on in your life. So can you remember like what was the what was the trigger the trigger or maybe a trigger? One of the triggers certainly was my environment at home. My father used to be an engineer for Konrad Zuse. Um, and he still had some, I don't know, relays and tubes of Zuse computers at home. Um, and at the age of, I don't know, eight or ten, I was familiar with um, punching cards and stuff like this. I used them as a toy, but so I was always surrounded by this very old fashioned kind of IT. Um, but that somehow caught my interest. And I started developing little programs and games on Nixdorf mid-size, mid-range machines with these amber screens. Um, but at that age, obviously I didn't recognize that this could be my profession but I had fun with it. And actually I wanted to work in another area of business. Uh, I was always interested in mobility, um, all sorts of mobility actually. Um, uh, steering mobility, steering traffic, but also constructing cars or airplanes. That was actually something I was very interested in. Um, but I followed the, this IT path. It was more like a natural way to, to, to use the equipment that we had uh, that I could access from my father. Mm. And then I think I was there at the right time. This whole internet thing, the, the first dot-com thing started um, and that was the place to be. So I dropped this traffic and mobility topic um, and made that to my hobby. Mm. Others maybe do it exactly the other way around. They become an automotive engineer and they play with their computers at home. <laughs> well, at least you stayed with both. You know, that's, uh, that's also something that sometimes people just uh, say, okay, I can only stick with one. I have to drop the other. 
So uh, it's interesting to see that you uh, decided to stay with both. Yeah, it was a lucky pitch, right? Absolutely. Now, when you, when you look back at your career over you know, the past maybe 20 years or 10, 15, 20 years, what would you say were some of the major challenges that you ran into along the way of you know, growing and along the way of advancing? I mean, there was certainly a time when, especially what I described initially in, in, in our discussion, like when I discovered I take a role that I didn't aim for. Um, at some point, I was also overwhelmed with that role. Um, and I had to adjust and learn how to actually fulfill that role that I never thought of before. Um, that was certainly an interesting uh, area where I had to grow and I could grow. Um, and there's other situations when, when companies are transformed on a larger scale. Um, that's also a very challenging situation and that's a very different way to grow. Mm. Mm. But I think one important thing in that area is to self-reflect and from time to time to take a step to the side and to watch what's actually happening and to see where you stand. That actually leads me into the next question. Um, so you already took a step ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, if you had to point out a couple of things, like some of the key lessons you learned over those years, what would, what would maybe three of them be? So one is before stepping into the visionary stuff, get the basics done, get the basics right. That gives you a good, solid fundament for everything else you do. Be open and honest, uh, say your opinion, but also be able to let others convince you. Don't be dogmatic, be clear. I think these things um, make it easier for others to cope with you. <laughs> um, they make it transparent. I like transparency. Uh, I don't like hidden agendas. And I think people can feel that when they work with me. Mm. There's some really, really good pointers in there. I love that. Now, I would like to jump into the present. Now, can you share a bit more about what you're currently uh, working on? Obviously not you know, in, in excruciating details because, you know, <laughs> Of, uh, of the projects and everything, but um, can you just um, talk a little bit about where you know, you're currently at um, from a maybe career and company perspective, um, obviously as much as you can share. I mean, this whole area, which is, is not a surprise of uh, artificial intelligence, big data, uh, I think that should keep almost everyone in my role or in a similar role busy. Um, it's a very interesting field. I, I feel a bit reminded um, of the dot-com times. There's some new technology around, especially in blockchain. Um, we don't know yet exactly what we are going to use it for. And when I say we, I mean, we, the world, we know there's something big to come. Um, and it's a technology, but we don't know the purpose of that technology in detail. We know there's something like Bitcoin and other similar, similar currencies, but there's lots of other thoughts. And it feels a bit like in this dot-com time when the internet was created, not very many people understood what this is actually about. Not very many people understood what you can do with it. Uh, 
it raised a lot of question marks in the faces when you talked about this. But somehow you could feel something is something big is coming. And I, I have the same feeling now. Um, and that I find quite exciting. And obviously we try to 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 benefit from these technologies also in our area. Excellent. The learning curve. Absolutely. So you're really um starting to dig into those new technologies into these emerging technologies and um and figuring out what is what is the use what are the use cases how can it bring the company further um what are the different applications where's new business i mean is there business opportunities for us um can we do something better than we do it at the moment um can we do something new for sure that's a topic excellent good 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 now in terms of your role i'm curious um because you're running uh different teams a large group across many many different locations across many different disciplines within uh, the it sector how do you how do you lead or manage all of this and stay sane at the same time stay sane <laughs> i think the, the biggest reason that i can stay sane is that i have trust in my team and in my team leaders, both in my team members and team leaders, um, I can clearly rely on them. And that makes me sleep well. That is a huge lesson. <laughs> yes, but it's true. That's really the case. I mean, if there's enough pressure around us and if you cannot rely on your environment, that's pure stress. It's stressful anyway, but let's say this is more good stress and there's also bad stress. And if you don't have the trust, forget it. So that is a, yeah, that is a really good point. You know, um, I, I think as a, as a, maybe as a, maybe it's a skill, um, as a skill, being able to really trust others, trusting your team, that is, um, that is huge. And then there's the other side of um, finding people that you feel you can trust. So how do you how do you go about working with the right players? And I mean, like the right players, not just uh, the team itself, but also you know the the partners um, and and all the other stakeholders involved in your in your group. How do you how do you go about finding those right players? I mean, when filling the team, when filling new positions. Um, aside from all my belief in data, I really trust my nose. Uh, and my gut and if I have the feeling I can get along very well with the person I'm very willing to hire that person even maybe the technical or other skills are not fully developed or not on this on the level I'd like to have it because I truly believe that changing a character is a very tough job um, adding know-how that, that are things that you can learn over time. I will always go for people that I like to work with. If I have the choice, I always take the person that is more sympathetic and it doesn't mean that they all need to be like the, the same style of people. I like a heterogeneous team and I think it even adds to the team if you have different skills and mindsets, but I have to get along with the people. Absolutely, yeah. That is, uh, that is a great, great uh, point you make there. 
And that works obviously only when you fill new positions. That doesn't work when you come into a given environment or when you have to work with other functions or other companies. Um, but everything you can do to take obstacles away and to reduce frictions, I think will help the projects and the initiatives. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I think like the key input there is really you know, even in a completely data-driven environment and in a very highly technical environment, um, personality uh, trumps uh, skills. Skills are super important, yes, absolutely, but um, uh, if you have to make the choice, you make the choice with personality because well, that is really difficult to change. <laughs> it's very, very... Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's a lifetime uh, effort then. Absolutely, if, he, if it even succeeds. <laughs> yes, true. So now I'd like to switch a bit into the future. Where do you see um, like technology, IT, specifically in your industry, uh, you know, the luxury goods area, maybe e-commerce because it's a huge part of, of the business. Where do, you see, where do you see those fields going maybe five, ten years from today? Where do you think we're going to be? I mean, in the luxury field, E-commerce, I feel specifically, is a very challenging environment um, because luxury often is about relation, is about trust as well, is about people, is about often enough about a very limited scope of people. So that's nothing that you can easily mirror in a digital world. But I think. This is the, the big next challenge, is to find an appropriate way of mirroring luxury thoughts and ideas and concepts to the digital world. And there is ways to do so. And I see a big growth opportunity in that area um, and a big chance. But I don't know exactly how. Um, this is what we are still thinking about. So that's, that's interesting. So basically what you're looking at is, you know, luxury goods or the luxury segment is very much driven by relationships. It's a lot of offline um, thinking right now still. Um, and at the same time, there's e-commerce, there's digitalization, there's just everything goes online. Um, and there's sort of like a little bit of that gap because it's, um, you know, even we have, we have a video call right now, right? But still um, an in-person meeting, having a coffee somewhere, in person is still not the same thing. Maybe with virtual reality, we will get there at some point. I'm not sure if we will at any point, um, but it's a really interesting way of looking at it because there's a, um, there's a, a large gap that need to be bridged, um, maybe less from the, technolo the technology perspective, more of the, of the mindset and more of the, uh, the trusted environment, I guess, right? Yes, and, and don't forget that in e-commerce often is about like sourcing something you need or you think you need. Like, I don't know, a new printer or a new book or some new dress. Um, and if you don't like it, you send it back. Um, in the luxury field, it's not exactly like this. Buying this luxury good itself is an experience. And you want that experience and you want to indulge yourself with that experience also. Um, and then you cannot, I mean, you, you, you cannot go to a marketplace and just click. But that may work for replenishment tools. So you know already the good, but you have consumed it. So you want another one of this. Um, 
and this replenishment thing i think is very comparable to to a regular e-commerce business you don't think much about this you just want another one but for everything that is new or that you want to experience and that also means where you want to spend time with that's a different story and you can see i mean the Despite all digitalization, when you go to Bahnhofstraße, it's packed. People like shopping. They like to go somewhere and to look at the product and to pick it and to take it home. Like a little trophy. Look what I got. And I think this is still so deeply, I don't know, uh, engraved in our genes. I don't know how to, how to say. Um, this will not change that quickly. If, if I go to Asia, uh, I meet people that tell me, oh, I haven't been in a store since two weeks. I think in Europe, this will not be the case that quickly. Mm. Very, very true. It's a, it's a, I'm, I'm very much on the same page, you know, um, for, especially for things where the actual shopping experience is an experience. That is, that is so key. Now, I'm curious about what your thoughts on that are. What, what do you think? will the impact of virtual reality be on that? Do you think that there's going to be a place where we're just going to be in that virtual reality shopping and having the same mirror experience basically that we have in, 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 in real life? Or what are your thoughts on that? I think as long as you need bulky glasses, no. If there's a way to do this with holographic technologies in a convincing way, that may be a game changer. But I don't believe in people carrying these bulky things. Uh, that's maybe fun. And it, it, you do it once in a, in a while, or you do it for gaming, for example. But in a real shopping environment, I'm not so sure. Mm. Maybe I need to see someone really convince me, but the, the cases I saw so far didn't really convince me. Mm. So basically, um, what I'm hearing is that maybe uh, virtual reality is still too much in its baby face for it to be a valid um, alternative, but when there is a place where we can maybe seamlessly switch between the real reality and virtual reality, there may be an actual use case where we can just think about getting into virtual reality and it actually happens and then think about getting back and it happens again. And it's like, it's basically the exact same experience. That may be a point where this really is uh, a use case. Yes. On the other hand, I still believe that personal relationships can grow through a Skype conference or something like this. I mean, there's friendships of people that have never physically met. So that's a clear proof. Uh, nevertheless, I think having the one-to-one -one touch, being face-to-face, -face, still is something that people value. And so I, I, I don't believe in anything replacing the other completely. It will always be a mix. And yes, maybe the cities become more like a showroom and you don't carry your goods home in 10 years. Maybe you just go there and watch it and feel it and experience it. And then you say, yes, I want that. And when you come home, it's there already. Maybe that's the case. But I st still think this, I mean, look at bars. Look at what happens every evening in Zurich, basically. Try to find a seat for four people in a restaurant. It's full because people like to spend time with each other. 
and it's a clear indicator that this is something that people really want. I, think, I believe this will, will, will uh, remain. I'm quite it's, sure. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, um, I I almost feel like the more of the digital aspect that we have um, during the workday or doing our other things, the more we're looking to get out and meet people physically in, you know, in the evening or any other time. Um, it's kind of like... A lot of people tell me what they did on the weekend is they left their smartphone in the car and they had an hour-long walk through the mountains or they went to a very remote place to do a digital detox. So maybe this is a matter of our generation um, that somehow is between two chairs. Um, my kids grow up with it. They don't know anything else. They may have a different attitude towards this, but I think at least, at least even the generation um, that is said to be digital natives are highly influenced by those that are not. But the generation after has not seen anything else and their parents have not seen anything else. So that may still be a different story, but I think in, in the times we live now, this is an, this is an overlapping. Yeah, so basically uh, what I'm hearing is that, you know, with the digital natives and maybe their children, um, they grew up, they grew up, like we grew up in a, in a world where uh, cars is a given, right? Exactly. You, know, you, don't, you don't see many horses going through the streets, except maybe in some places where the police <laughs> uses the horses, like I think in New York or somewhere, like yes. because of the traffic jam and everything. Um, but you usually don't see so many horses in the cities, right? So... For us, it would be totally weird to think that way. And uh, it may be that, you know, the children of the digital natives grow up in that, maybe even in that virtual reality where there's no, like, you know, difference anymore. And for them, it's like, it doesn't matter which one it is. It's kind of like, for me, I mean, I think about it, it's a bit scary for me when I think about it, but it may be going in that direction, but maybe not in, you know, the next 20, 30 years. But maybe if you grow up on the holodeck, you find that normal. I think that's a whole other conversation. Like, are we in the, are we in the matrix? <laughs> yes. No, but, but I mean, honestly, it's always about what you're used to. And, and, and I think humans tend to accept as normal what they're used to. But maybe that's not normal. Or that doesn't mean that it should stay the same. But some, I think some developments take a generation or two. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love the conversation. Um, so uh, if people want to connect with you, uh, connect with the company, learn more about you, the company, what's the best place for people to go? I mean, come here is a good, a good idea to connect through LinkedIn is, is a good idea. Um, I'm attending a couple of conferences. But I think LinkedIn is, is the easiest place to find me. Perfect. Uh, I just want to thank you for the conversation. It was uh, great to dive into um, that, you know, philosophy, do a bit of philosophy about the future. I always love that, uh, especially with people, you know, who, who, uh, who are in the field of technology and really know, um, you know, what's going on and really visionaries and, and, um, and live it every day. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on the show and uh, talk to you soon. I have to thank you. Hope to talk to you soon again, yeah. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to The Aligned Leader. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe so you get full access to all the newly released episodes every Wednesday. Do you have any topics that you would like us to cover? Then send us an email to daniel at leadersbridge.org and we'll work on it. And if you'd like to learn more about our initiatives, for example, like the CEO Collaboration Day, head over to leadersbridge.org.